0: Who is Jesus? (laughs) We're in trouble, amen. (laughs) Who is Jesus? Uh, The next few weeks leading up to Easter, I'm going to be talking about who is Jesus. And the main thing is who did Jesus say he was, amen? Who did Jesus proclaim that he was? Now, you've heard me say this before. Either Jesus was exactly who he said he was or he was a complete nut job. There can't be any in-between. You can't sit on the fence. There are a lot of people that believe Jesus was a real person. In fact, uh, you can't find one history professor. Uh, well, maybe, maybe you can find some. But uh, everybody, most everybody will agree Jesus was a real historical figure. Even you go to history classes, they will cover that he was a real person. So the question is not whether there was really a guy named Jesus. The question is, who do you believe he was? Many of those people believe he was just a man. He was a good man. He was a teacher, but he was just a historical figure. And many people want to leave him to the history books, all right? Uh, But here's the thing jesus might have been a good rabbi a good teacher a good person but listen the claims that jesus was making he would have had to have been a total nut job and the one thing that people did not agree on was agreeing with who jesus said he was jesus himself proclaimed to be who the son of god All right. He proclaimed to be on equal standing with God. He also proclaimed to be the only way to heaven. I know our culture today wants to paint a picture of all roads lead to heaven. Can I tell you today, will you agree with me? Not all roads lead to heaven. Amen. It is not a wide highway where everybody's going to get there. If that's what you believe, then take your Bible and throw it away. Because the Bible does not teach that at all. Jesus himself did not teach that at all. Jesus said, and he proclaimed. Now this is where, again, the line is in the sand. Everybody look at me. The line is in the sand. Who is Jesus? Because where you're going to be on the judgment day and where you're going to end up all has to do with who do you believe Jesus was. Because the line in the sand is Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth. And the life, not one of many, not one of a few. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he made the biggest statement of all no man comes to the Father except through me. And that's where the line in the sand is. Who do you say Jesus is? now these people that want to say well jesus was a good teacher some even want to say well he was a prophet well you know what one of the first laws of being a prophet was the minute that you said god said something and it came out of your mouth and it was not true they would stone you to death so why didn't they stone jesus to death at the moment that came out of his mouth see you cannot believe that jesus was a prophet if you don't believe that everything that came out of his mouth was true so by proxy If he proclaims that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through him, and he really is a prophet, then the truth just came out of his mouth. Amen? And you cannot deny that. So these people that want to say he's a prophet, but he was not the son of God, they're all messed up in the head. Because that doesn't even make sense. Because you can't be a true prophet unless the truth was coming out of you and it was God's words coming out of you. The minute that they thought it was not God's words coming out of you, they would stone you to death and you'd be done. All right? So you've got to decide, I've got to decide, and I don't know if you've decided yet. Maybe you're here this morning, and you think, well, my gosh, Mark, we live in Tyler, Texas. We live right here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I want to tell you, I believe this is the most dangerous place to live as far as Christianity goes. Now, a lot of people, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be proud of our town, but a lot of people kind of have this self-righteous air about Tyler, Texas, and East Texas, that hey, we're, we all live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. We're all going. Amen? We're all good folks around here. Amen? And I'm here to tell you today, it's, it's something that we want to proclaim, what I call, and I think it's the most dangerous thing that we have, is good old boy religion. And what you have in the buckle of the Bible Belt is a whole lot of good old boy religion. Well, you know, I don't go to church every Sunday. And in fact, it probably hadn't been since Easter in 1966. But me and God, we got an understanding. And, you know, when I get up there, we'll, we'll, we'll get it all straightened out. You will get it straightened out, but not like you think you're going to get it straightened out. Amen? The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the problem in the buckle of the Bible Belt of East Texas many times is we are so ensconced in religion that we just kind of tend to think we're all okay. We're all going to heaven. You know, no, I don't go to church. No, I don't read my Bible. No, I don't do any of this. But you don't understand, my daddy was a deacon and founded the First Baptist Church of uh, Podunkville over there. Amen? And so I, I know I got a ticket. That's all wonderful, but you ain't going on nobody's coattails. You're not going on granddaddy's coattails. You're not doing it on daddy's coattails. You're not going because your mama was a good mama and she loved the Lord. That's all wonderful news, and I I thank God that you were raised in a Christian home. But when you stand before the Lord, the question will not be, who was your mama? Who was your daddy? Who was your granddaddy? Did you have any deacons in your family line? None of those questions will ever come up. The question will be directed to you and to you alone. And it will be this, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Now, I'm here to tell you, we get a picture of a loving Savior, and he is. But the Bible proclaims that one day there will be a judgment day. It will all come down, and there will be a judgment day. And I want to tell you, some people want to say, well, surely God wouldn't send people to hell. God will not send anybody to hell. People will send themselves to hell. God provided a way away from hell. He provided a ladder out of hell through his son, Jesus Christ, that costs you nothing. All you have to do is say, I admit I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe you died for my sins on that cross. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. It's as simple as that. He provided a way for you. There is no reason no one in this room should go to hell. If you go to hell, God will not send you there. Your sin sent you there and your, uh, your lack of humility and your pride so, because you would not bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what will send you there. Amen. So I'm here to understand. I want you to understand today. And many people want to say, well, surely God, God's a loving God. God wouldn't do that. Listen, if I tell you, my my oldest son is named Matthew. If I told you that, you know what, I sent my son Matthew, my oldest son Matthew, I sent him, and I put him in front of you in front of a firing squad, and he took your bullet so that you can have a way into heaven. You don't think when you stand before me one day I'm going to say, my son stood there and took a bullet for you. He took your bullet, and he died for you. What did you do about it? You don't think that's going to cause a father to say, what did you do with my son? I gave you my son. I gave you my one and only son. I sent him to you to die the most horrible death imaginable, and what did you do with him? Any father I know would say, you know what? That cost me about everything to send my son and know what he was going to go through and know how he was going to suffer and die for you. That cost me everything. And you don't even give it a second thought. You haven't. You don't have time for me. You don't have time to give your life to me. You don't have time to live your life for me. You don't have time to even thank me or do anything for me. How do you think that would make you feel? How many times does our Heavenly Father get none of the credit and all of the blame? probably most of the time can you imagine how that would make you feel where you get all of the blame and no credit i'm here to tell you things go wrong everybody wants to get mad at god and i want to tell you today don't get mad at god listen you keep your eyes firmly planted on god now you may be out there today and you may say well you don't understand a preacher hurt me well guess what you had your eyes on the wrong guy You may say, well, a church member hurt me. They said something, and it really hurt my feet. It offended me. You had your eyes on the wrong person. If you keep your eyes firmly planted, will people let you down? Yes. I will even go out and say, I'm so sorry about this, and I'll go ahead and apologize, but I will let you down. I'm a human being. I am flesh and blood. I will let you down. Something stupid is going to come out of my mouth. You can ask my wife. It's probably a daily occurrence, amen? Something stupid is going to come out of my mouth. I might offend you. I might say something and not mean it in a certain way, but the devil has a way of taking it between my mouth and your ears and making you hear something else. And how many people leave churches on a daily basis? How many churches split right down the middle on a daily basis? And I'm here to tell you, it's because we don't keep our eyes on the one that matters, Amen. You've got to keep your eyes firmly planted on Jesus. I know so many people that are out of church right now, not serving the Lord, and they say, because somebody let me down. I got saved, and this preacher, he led me to the Lord. And then the preacher messed up. I'm so sorry. And that's going to be on that preacher. And that preacher has to answer for that in his life. But I'm here to tell you, your salvation was not based on that preacher. Your salvation is based on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and the only perfect one, the one and only one that your salvation is through. Amen? So, it is so important. If you're not going to get sidetracked, if the devil's not going to win and knock you out of the race, it is so important that you get this one point. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I may let you down. Everybody in this room may let you down. But don't you dare stop serving Jesus. Because... He gets all of the blame. Something goes wrong. Oh man, I'm, how could God let that happen in my life? Do you not remember that He suffered first? He knew the pain of sending His one and only Son to die the most horrible death imaginable. He knows your pain, He knows what it is to suffer. The Lord Jesus Christ himself left his throne in glory, left all the glory of heaven, and came down to earth as a man and became flesh and knew what was awaiting him. He knew that 33 years, I've got 33 years to accomplish my mission, and then I'm going to have to face something that's going to be very, very painful. And the Lord knew it the entire time, but he did it for you and for me. Amen. You don't think the Lord knows your pain. You don't think the Lord knows what it is to suffer. And you think you're going through some kind of dire temptation or something or dire trial in your life. Listen, the Lord knows exactly what you're going through. He knows every pain. He knows every single pain. When Jesus went out in that desert to be tempted... 40 days and 40 nights with Satan himself. Can I ask you something? If you go and you spend 40 days and nights out in the desert with Satan, do you think he's going to get all over you? Do you think he's going to put everything in front of you imaginable? He's going to put every circumstance. He's going to put every trial. He's going to put every temptation in front of you. That, why did the Lord Jesus go through that? For that very reason. So you could never say, Lord, you don't know my pain. Lord, you don't know my trial. Lord, you don't know my temptation. Listen, the devil had an open field with him for forty days and forty nights. I can guarantee you, the Lord Jesus Christ knows your pain. He knows everything you're suffering through. Amen. All right, let's read the first verse, John chapter eight, verse twelve. This is going to be from a um, a story that many of us know: the woman uh, who was caught in adultery. Remember that one? The woman who was caught in adultery, and it's all from John chapter eight. Uh, If you want to turn there, we'll be hitting some other verses. But the main thing, uh, before that happens, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he tells them this one thing. So every week we're going to do a different one. The one this week, Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Can I tell you today, if you're walking in darkness, you need to turn on the light. And the only true light is Jesus Christ. He is your light. He says, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And he says, I am the light of the world. All right. Jesus himself said this in John 8, 12. He said, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Can I get an amen? So he is the light of of the world and if you walk in him you will never walk in darkness so jesus proclaims to be the light of the world and guess what so now we're going to have the contrast light and darkness who is the darkness do you know what one of satan's names was one of satan's names in the bible is the prince of what the Prince of Darkness. So we have this comparison between light and darkness. All right, Acts chapter 26 verses 17 and 18 uh, says this, and he says, "I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send to you." All right, all right. So here we go. Uh, if you would, uh, we're going to look at the story of the woman caught in adultery. All right, and we're going to title this with the story: the law, the love and the light, the law, the love, and the light. Now, Jesus is going to be all three of those. He's the law, he's the love, and he's the light. Now, I'm going to tell you this. As Christians, we really like those last two. We want all of that grace. We want all of that mercy, especially when I need it. Amen. You know how you're real heavy on grace and mercy when you need it on your end, but you're not so good to give it when somebody else needs it from you? Amen. Amen. So here's what we got to understand: He uh, he is the love and the light, but very first he's also the law. Jesus himself said, "I didn't come to do away with the law; I came to fulfill the law." So guess what? Just because there's grace and mercy does not mean you can go live your life however you want to live your life, and you're okay, and you got a free pass and a free hall pass into heaven. That's not what it means. And Jesus himself said that. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law, all right? So let's look at the story. It's in John chapter 8, verses 2 through 6, all right? And it says this. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. All right, so let's let me set the story for you. Jesus is going through his day, and uh, he's sitting some followers down to teach them. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees have gone and caught a woman in the act of adultery. Now, you might think, well, those good old scribes and Pharisees—they were just trying to get this woman straightened out. No, this was a setup from the very beginning, wasn't it? This was a setup. They were uh, they were conspiring to catch this woman in adultery, which means they probably had to be nearby, being a bunch of peeping toms, watching, seeing what was going on. Once uh, that she was caught in the act, they rush in, catch her, drag her to the temple, probably naked or half naked, and throw her out in front, in the middle of the temple, in front of Jesus. And they are baiting Jesus. They are setting Jesus up. Because they, they know, they say, Jesus, uh, what, do you, what do you say about this? This woman was caught in the act of adultery, so the law of Moses says that we ought to stone her to death. And they want to see what Jesus is going to say, all right? Because according to the law, she's guilty, and she should be stoned to death. And here's what, why they were trying to bait Jesus. If Jesus agreed then he loses his loving reputation. He loses his reputation for love and grace and mercy. But if Jesus forgives her, then he's condoning the adultery, and uh, he is breaking the law of Moses. And good Jewish boys, they did not break the law of Moses. Amen. That was a no-no, all right? So they know they've got him on either answer, all right? So the law, what happens is the law reveals our guilt. How many of you... Let's just take the very basics of the law, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Anybody in here ever lied? Look around you, the ones without their hands up, they're lying. Amen? You are a liar. Amen? Anybody in here ever taken something that wasn't yours? You are a thief. Anybody here ever lusted after somebody just in your thoughts? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's a good admission. The Bible says if you've committed it in your mind, you've already committed adultery. Amen. So we've already established right here within a few seconds, you are a bunch of lying, cheating, adulterizing people. Amen. And that's, that's where we have to realize we are sinners. Now, these scribes and Pharisees, in their mind, they were holy. They were perfect. We keep the law of Moses. We are above reproach. But they find this woman caught in adultery, and they fling her out there naked or half-naked, and they say, look at this dirty woman. And she deserves to be stoned to death. And they saw her as a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. Now, can I tell you the reality of it today? And this is what Jesus knew immediately in his heart. Uh, This woman, yes, she's a sinner. But guess what? You standing around, you're all worse sinners than she ever thought about being. Amen? Amen. Because it is a matter of the heart. It is not a matter of breaking the law. You and I, we've already established, we break the law every single day. Amen. But thank God for his grace and his mercy and his love. Amen. So here's what we need to do. Unless you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. If you're not a sinner, no need for a Savior. And this is the problem in the buckle of the Bible Belt of East Texas. Everybody's saved. I can't believe it. You go asking people in East Texas, do you know the Lord Jesus? Oh, yeah, I know Jesus. What they're saying is, yeah, I've heard that name. Yeah, I I went to Vacation Bible School about 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, I I know him. I know him. That's not the question. I'm not asking, do you know about him? And see, this is where the biggest problem in East Texas is. Most everybody knows about him. But You don't really know him. Do I know my father? Yes, intimately, because I spend time with him. Do I know my mother? Yes, because I spend many, many hours with her, and I know her intimately. Do I know my children? Yes, because I spend many, many hours with them. Do I know my spouse? Yes, intimately, because I spend many, many hours with her. There's a difference between knowing about somebody. I know who donald trump is amen but i don't really know him all right i know who joe biden is and i but i don't really know him all right i know about him i know what i get from media i know what i can read but i don't really know him it doesn't matter what i'm telling you is it doesn't matter where you are in the food chain if you're at the very top if you're the most powerful man in this nation it does not matter god is not impressed amen And God says to whether it's them or you, it's not about if you know I exist. It's not about if you know. There are tons of people that will admit that Jesus existed, that God exists, that there really is a heaven, that there's a heaven that exists, but they're going to miss it because they miss the salvation of the one who came to die for their sins. Amen? You can know about heaven all day. You can know about God all day. I've told you this. Again, what is the line in the sand? Jesus. Go to work tomorrow. Go into the break room and start talking about how good God is. Man, everybody will be right there with you. Woo, you ain't lying, man. God is good. Boy, that's right. God, man, God has blessed my life. I know God, and God is good. Yeah, God is good. And then somewhere in the conversation, just shift around to Jesus. And all of a sudden, why does everybody get very nervous very uncomfortable, and they cannot leave the room fast enough because the Bible, God himself proclaimed, this is my son, and I have given him a name, and it is the name above every name, and one day at that knee, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, and even the demons tremble and flee from that name, amen? That's why when you go in the break room and you say, Jesus, you don't even have to say it loud. Just stick your head in the break room and go, Jesus, people will freak smooth out amen because there is power in the name of Jesus why does it make people uncomfortable why can you talk about God all day long but when the minute you switch to Jesus everybody gets uncomfortable because there is power in that name you know who is connected to that name the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit shows up in a room all the other spirits in that room say oh we got to go we gots to go amen amen So any other non-God spirit that you have attached to you, when you're in that room and the name of Jesus comes in there, the Holy Spirit just entered that room. And you say, your spirit that's on you that's not a good spirit says, "Uh, that makes me nervous. You know, we were doing some things last night we shouldn't have been doing. We probably need to leave the room. That's why that happens. All right? So it's the name of Jesus. That should show you and me that the only thing it has to do with is Jesus Christ, all right? I'm going to give you these uh, these three things. Number one, we already said the law reveals our guilt. Number two, the love reveals God's grace. Everybody say God's grace and say amen. (laughs) Uh, Let's pick it up, John 8, 6 through 11. John 8, 6 through 11 says this. So this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, all right, I'll tell you what, guys, you're right, she's guilty. But I'm going to tell you this, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So Jesus turns it around on them, puts the challenge on them. And he says, all right, I'll tell you what, she's guilty, there's no doubt she's guilty. You caught her right in the act. But whoever here is without sin, you pick up the first stone and you throw it at her head because it's going to be on you because you're guilty also. And so he turns it around on them. Now, it says that he stooped down and he wrote something on the ground. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what he wrote, but many scholars believe that what he was writing down was the sins of all the men standing there because Jesus has that x-ray vision amen and jesus knew exactly what the list was on each one of those guys so he just starts writing down their sins do you think that'll make you nervous yeah that'll make you real nervous amen oh good lord there's that one i got some worse ones than that and here they come you know and so he is writing down you know where they get that from if you translate what was said there uh the hebrew word was katagraphin and katagraphin means this to write down a record against someone that's why most scholars believe he was writing down their sins, because katagraphine translates into writing a record down against someone. So he was writing down, and most likely he was writing their sins down, all right? And um, then he tells them, you pick up the stone and you cast it first, all right? Um, and then she looks up, and Jesus asks her a question, because they've all left. When Jesus had raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Now, let's stop right there. She looks up. She's she's getting ready for the first rock to hit her head. And she looks up and Jesus says, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? They've all left by now. And so... Let's look at the last verse. And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says an amazing thing to her. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He said, none of you have the right to accuse her because you've all got sin in your life. Whether you believe it or you don't, and this is for everybody in this room, and I hate to do this to you, but you are a dirty, rotten, stinking, no good sinner. You are a dirty, rotten, stinking, no good sinner. Ain't it on Rusty over there, amen. Uh, You know, uh, you are a dirty, rotten, stinking, no good sinner, amen. And so you're not in line to judge anybody. You're not in line to condemn anybody. You're not in line to accuse anybody, amen. And this woman caught in adultery becomes a daughter of the king. Because of God's love and God's mercy. Do you need God's love and God's mercy? Man, I need it so bad. I need it every single day. I need it every minute of every day. Amen. And then he tells her one other thing, and this is the part you're not really going to like. You see what those last words say? Uh Uh-oh. Now, Mark, this was going real good. Why you got to do this? He tells her, I forgive you. You're forgiven all those sins, that adultery you were committing just a little while ago, it's all forgiven. But I'm going to hear to tell you, he doesn't say go and live your life just like you were living it. He doesn't say go and uh, just do whatever you want to because my grace will cover it all. He doesn't say that. He makes a proclamation, and this is the part that's going to be hard. Your job now is to go and don't do it again. Turn away from your life of sin. Go and sin no more okay this is why as christians generally you and i are very good at confession but we're not very good at repentance confession is easy i can confess it all day long i can confess things 100 times a day knowing full well while i'm confessing them today i'm going to turn around and do them tomorrow That's just confession. That is not repentance. Repentance, the reason it puts confession and repentance together is because you not only have to confess it, but then you have to go and say, Lord, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to live this life. I don't want to do it again. I'm going to turn the other direction, and I want this out of my life. Amen. And that's why when you go back into it and you wonder, well, God, I thought you were with me. God, I thought we were good. I thought we were homeboys. You know? I thought, you know, I thought you forgave me, and I thought all was good. And the Lord said, you went, turned right back around, and you went right back. At, I pulled you out of the mud and the muck and the mire, and you turned right around and walked right back in it. And I cannot go in the muck and the mire. I can pull you out of the muck and the mire, but I cannot go in the muck and the mire. So when you don't go and sin no more, then I am separated from you. And we want to wonder then, well, God, why aren't you blessing me? Or God, why are things not going on? God, where did you go? Many times it's because we just need to look in the mirror and say, you know what, Lord? I didn't go and sin no more. I didn't turn away from those things. I didn't change the things in my life that needed to be changed. Could I tell you today, and somebody needs to hear this today, I need to hear this today, go and sin no more means turn away. Look at the things in your life. Look in the mirror and say, Lord, show me the things that are not good. Show me the things that I need to cut out. And, Lord, give me the power to cut them out of my life right now. Right now. Amen. And it is a daily battle and a daily struggle. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I struggle with it. I'd be lying if I didn't tell you everybody in this room struggles with it. Amen. But you have got to go and sin no more. Because all sin does is it keeps Satan in charge, and it keeps us separated from God, and it keeps us from fulfilling what God wants to do in our lives. And we have so much wasted life and so much wasted potential. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad of how we live our lives? Go and sin no more. And then John chapter 8, verse 12. Go ahead and show that one. Then Jesus spoke to them again, and he said it one more time. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So all this happens, and I'm going I'm to end it right here, I believe. Go ahead and pull up John 12, 46. But here's where it ends. I'm going to kind of end it on this, all right? All of this happens, and you remember he had had a bunch of people come into the temple and he was teaching them. So all of this happens, they bring and they throw this woman caught in adultery, they throw this naked woman or half-naked woman right out into the middle of the Bible study. Boy, that will liven the Bible study up, won't it? Amen. Throw them, throw them right out there in the middle. And all of these people that Jesus was teaching uh, were seeing this go on. And then they were going to stone her, all those guys, they walk away head hung in shame because they know they've just been busted all right and then what happens all of those people that he was teaching are still there and jesus says this is a teaching moment and he says you see how that woman i just pulled her out of darkness into the light he teaches the people and he says i have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness he says i am the light if you're tired of walking in darkness i am The light. Wow. What a teaching moment. Amen. They've just seen a woman change from an adulterer to a child of the king. Like that. And brought out of the darkness into the light. Can I tell you this? In reference to the woman caught in adultery. Everything in the darkness, and this is hard. Everything in the darkness will eventually be brought into the light. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. We think we can fool God. We think we can fool everybody else. And you might fool everybody else, but you ain't never going to fool God. Everything that's going on in the darkness will eventually come into the light. So we might as well be ahead of the curve and say, Lord, I want to get this out right now. I want to get this out right now. Julie, if you'd come, if you would bow your head and close your eyes. Can I tell you this? The light always defends darkness and there is not enough darkness in the world to put out the light of Jesus. He is the light of the world. And maybe today you might say, well, Brother Mark, I've been having a hard time and there's some things in my life I've been walking around in darkness and, uh, There's no shame to that because, quite honestly, probably everybody in this room could say that to some degree or another. We are either stuck in the darkness now, have just come out of the darkness, or fixing to walk back into some darkness, and there is no shame in it. But we got to keep sin on what I call a short leash, and that's when you realize that you're getting off track, don't put it off that very moment. Say, Lord. I don't want that in my life right now. And I confess that, I repent of it, and I want to get that out of my life. Just keep sin on a short leash because the devil's going to put that stuff out there every single day. But maybe you say, Brother Mark, I've been walking around in darkness, and I don't really have a relationship with Jesus like I really need to have right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to either pray it for the first time or pray it as a prayer of recommitment. And you just pray this with me in your heart and your mind. Say, dear Jesus, I am tired of walking around in the darkness. And I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you're the light of the world. And right now I ask you to save me. I give my life to you and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name. Now today, every head is still bowed. Have you prayed that prayer today for the first time or the second time or the hundredth time, recommitting your life? Would you just lift up a hand so I can pray for you? Anyone? Anyone? All right. By that statement, everybody in this room is saved. So how many of you now would just say, Brother Mark, would you just pray for me that I could do better? that I could do better. Anybody need to do better in here? I got my hand raised. I need to do better. Listen, just because we say amen in a moment does not mean the service is over. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to come and talk to me, unburden yourself, or maybe you just need to come to the altar and bring it to God, I always tell people it's never over after we say amen. The altar is still open. I'm still here. If You need to come talk to someone. Anybody need to come join the church? Maybe this is a place you've been visiting for a while. Anybody need to join the church? Anybody need to recommit yourself to Christ? Any of those things? All right. Father, we love you today. We thank you. I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. I thank you that, Lord, you are the law, but you are also love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that God... Lord, could we just live our lives where we would be so effective for you? And the only way to do that, God, is just to repent and confess of our sin and move it out of the way, God. So, Lord, I pray that when we go home today, we just say, Lord, there's some things in my life, Lord, I want to leave those things behind, and I want to live for you. Lord, bless this day. Bless everyone in this building. When we go out of these doors, let us understand, God, that is our mission field out there. May we just tell others about you. May we let our light so shine before men. Lord, we just give you the rest of this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you guys. I hope that that ministered to you. Uh, Again, don't forget all the announcements, uh, the ladies' fellowship, the revival coming up. And I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. God bless you. You are dismissed.